You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Ate the mold? Right. It was on a grilled cheese sandwich. I didn't really care. <laughs> I mean, if you melt it, then it's probably it's, not bad. Sterilizes it. It's basically penicillin. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Cura. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, and we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Oh, so close to Christmas. Oh, so close to 2019. So let's get on with our year in review show and talk about what's happened in the past week. Brazilian Thai, I had our gift exchange today at the station, and I got to say, I think you might approve with uh, my haul. Did you get booze? I did. Oh, then this conversation's over. I'm on my way. <laughs> I got a bottle of Jack, actually. Oh, no, I'll stay home. Yeah, I figured you wouldn't approve of that one. And that one actually reminds me of a Grey Cup. Uh, the last one in Toronto, I went to this party, and they had unlimited Jack Daniels. And <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, <laughs> when something's free, it doesn't matter what it is. I indulge. Uh, see, when I get offered a beer, I'm like, well, what kind is it? Yeah, yeah, I'm not picky. And then I'll just, oh, I'll just have a water then, thanks. Really? You'll do that? <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. Like, I'm I, I'm not one to, to uh, accept a free Lucky Lager or a Brew yeah, House. I'll, anything's free, I, I accept it. I, I'll take two, please. Like... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, this, this is a good sign for the wedding in February. Yeah, if it's free, I'll drink it. I mean, it's open bar at cocktail hour, and guess who's running the bar? Oh no, you! Oh yeah, holy man! They are losing money. Are you the best or the worst bartender of all time, or does it all depend on your point of view? <laughs> That's a fair question. Uh, <laughs> this isn't the first time I've been asked to run a bar at a wedding, so I think uh, I'll be okay. Um, it all depends on how many people show up for cocktail hour because it is open bar for that first hour. So if it gets super busy, service might be a little slow and a little drunk. No, like that's the number one pet peeve at a bar, like when it's busy mm-hmm. and then the, the four people in front of you order Caesars and you wait 20 minutes for your first drink. No, 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 no. Have some etiquette here. Yeah, no, I'm, I will not serve Caesars. It's going to be uh, rye, rum, vodka, and beer, and that's it. I'm telling Nick and Tegan, no Caesars. You're my kind of guy. <laughs> I, I don't got, I don't got time for this. I, I've only got it's only open bar for an hour. I'm not going to screw out, screw out the people in the last in line. You are the man. All right, I know. Let's. <laughs> it, sometimes you you look back at what happened in a season and you think, wait, that happened this year. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's quickly go back uh, and look at what happened in 2018. I, I thought it would be fun if we looked at maybe your predictions or our predictions. I think ours were pretty similar at the beginning of the season. In the East anyway, yes. Yeah. <laughs> what did your East predictions look like? Uh, my East prediction 
uh, kind of went to crap in week two because I had <laughs> the Argonauts uh, finishing first. And then I followed that up with Hamilton, Ottawa, Montreal. So I got Hamilton and Montreal right. No, I didn't. I got I got Hamilton right. Yeah, second place. That's <laughs> yeah. the, I, I think a lot of people expected Ottawa to drop off this season. And then uh, uh, Trevor Harris proved a lot of people wrong. But the big one there and the drop-off, obviously, is the Toronto Argonauts. And if Ricky mm-hmm. Ray was playing with that team, and it's so hard to look back and say, well, even when he was in the lineup for those you know one and a half games, the Argos didn't look good anyway. Do you think the Argos would have made the playoffs even with Ray at the helm? I do because those two games in the first two weeks were Saskatchewan and Calgary, and look at what those defenses were able to do uh, this past season. Uh, you know, it's a very small sample size against two of the best defenses, if not the best defenses in the league, and best that we've seen in a long time. And you know what? I I really don't think they would have made the playoffs. And I, I just think that Corey Chamberlain's absence in 2018 really hurt the Argos. And I, I don't know if he's going to be able to bring him back to the playoffs. Or maybe he will, but back to the Grey Cup anyway. This season with him uh, as their head coach heading into 2019. Because there is a question mark still at quarterback there. There's been rumors that McLeod Bethel-Thompson will be on the block. Ricky Ray's got a decision to make. I believe he's leaning towards retirement. So do they go with James Franklin or do they go in another division let's stay in the eastern division there and let's talk ottawa because there were two big stories on that team this year well i mean there were there were many big stories they were in the gray cup and the dynasty there well you know and as close to an eastern dynasty since you know the alouettes about eight nine years ago you can get but lewis ward brad sinopoli just remarkable seasons Mm -hmm. in ottawa uh you know record setting Seasons. Brad Sinopoli sets the record for, for receptions by a Canadian. Uh, Lewis Ward went on an absolute tear uh, as the field goal kicker. And, you know, when a team has Kyrie Siebert, there is always a story there week in and week out. Yeah, you know what? He was in the news a lot during the summer, and he ended up getting suspended mm-hmm. during the summer. So, I mean, this many years into his career, uh, maybe he proved that you can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> uh, that's a very fair assessment. Um, I, he's not going to change the way he plays because if, if he does that, I don't think he'd be the same player. And I think you agree with that. Uh, you don't want to take the edge away, but yeah. you know he, he crosses the line and he knows he does. And it just seems like he has zero remorse for it. I mean, he's ended guys' careers, and, and you know it, it's hard to watch him do this, uh, have hits like this and suspensions year in and year out. But at the same time, if he was a rider, I. I'd love to have a guy that was willing to maybe get to the line and not go over it. Have a, have a guy that could play like Kyrie Bear without, uh, you know, the, the overstepping the line. But, I mean, it is what it is. If he changes, he's not going to be the same player, and then he's going to be out of the league. I don't think he should be in the league anyway because of how he plays. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, it's just it's unfortunate that, you know, he just doesn't get it. And I don't think he ever – and, you know, he's on the back nine now of his career. Uh, he hasn't had a huge fall off, but, I mean – he his he's closer to the end of his career than he is at the beginning and and I don't see a reason for him to change now 
football has changed a lot in the past 10, mm-hmm. 15 years, and it seems like Hebert is one of those guys that's kind of bridged the gap between the two generations. And he, One of the last players from that old school defensive generation where, man, let's face it, 20 years ago, guys could almost do anything mm-hmm. uh, against a defenseless receiver, quarterback, or running back, and really, it was it was celebrated. Yeah, the 20, 20, 15 years ago, hits like that were celebrated. It's what you wanted. They were highlight yeah. reels. Monday Night Football had jacked up. Uh, you know, yeah, and they as, did, more yeah. and more, as more and more information comes out, and more and more, uh, you know, players, former players, are having mental issues, and you know, committing suicide and doing stuff like this. And they start to do the research and find out, you know, the CTE and it's linked to concussions and all this stuff. It just now it. And we see it in every league. Hockey, baseball's become safer somewhat with the slide sliding rules. Uh, football with the headshots. Hockey with the headshots. Uh, you know, basketballs, whatever. Uh, you know, you get carried off if you have a leg cramp. But <laughs> but hey, those guys when they start throwing their elbows around and stuff, they they get hurt too. Yeah, like a guy come back for the Raptors last night, and in the first two minutes had a bloody mouth because he took an elbow to the face on a screen. Yeah. But he came back. And, but, I mean, they're trying to make the game safe as, as safe as they can. To think that they're going to make it a safe game is naive. That that will never happen. This is a full contact sport. You'll never eliminate headshots. Whether or not they're on purpose or incidental, that'll, that'll never be gone. And, and, you know, so if they can eliminate the intentional ones or, or you know, get them to a point where they're happening so rarely that you kind of forget about it. Um, that, that, that's the goal. They don't never be eliminated, but you know, they're trying to make it as safe as they possibly can for a game that's played at a hundred miles an hour with guys that are 300 pounds. Yeah. The same goes for hockey. Like these guys mm-hmm. are on metal blades skating around the ice at 60 miles an hour, firing pucks at 110 miles an hour. <laughs> Nothing about that game is safe. <laughs> and, then, and then you're allowed to drop your – and don't get me wrong, I love hockey fights. I know. I love, yeah, yeah, I, I know. I, I love fights. I love boxing. But it just – you any other league, you fight, you throw a punch, you are kicked out of the game. In hockey, go sit down for five minutes, ice your knuckles, yeah. and then go back to the bench. That's true. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's so bizarre. Wait, I get to sit in the box for five minutes? Nice. Uh. Yeah. There, there's guys that used to get bonuses based on their PIMS. Our fantasy league rewards penalty minutes. <laughs> I know, and it's great. You just love seeing a guy get five and ten and a two for unsportsmanlike or instigating. It's like, oh, there's 17 penalty minutes. I just won my week. Oh yeah, the, when your guy just goons it up for the night, it's big. Uh, or you could be like Evgeny Malkin and score three points, have a fight instigator in a ten minute misconduct and a game misconduct, and basically win your week with one player. That's game of the year. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's shift to another team in the East, and you know what? In that East final, the Tiger Cats got worked. By Ottawa, mm-hmm. but I think there was a lot of hope in Hamilton heading into the season because of the end of 2017, and there was a lot of promise even after Labor Day here. But let's go to the beginning of the season when, uh, even before training camp, 
the news was Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel, Johnny Manziel. And he finally signed in Hamilton. And even now, when you, when, when I think about it, you know, from seven months ago, the, the amount of talk and coverage on Manziel was all, almost nauseating. And it, everything he did at practice, everything, uh, it, you know, every time he sneezed, it was talked about. But be honest, back in May, you know, before training camp or during training camp, what kind of expectations did you have for Manziel uh, when he signed into the CFL to play with the Tiger Cats? I, I thought if he were to stay on the Tiger Cats, I didn't think he would be traded, uh, you know, when he was. Uh, I thought he'd be the short yardage uh, quarterback, and, you know, that gives the that would give the Tiger Cats uh, opportunity that if it was third and one and the team is expecting a plunge, he can roll out and make something happen with his feet. He can still throw the ball. He's not your prototypical backup quarterback who's just going to sneak for one yard and hop off the field. Uh, I didn't think he would get any viable snaps unless Jeremiah Masoli got hurt. Uh, and I thought that he would, you know, read a clip, hold a clipboard for, for the year. If something were to happen, he would be ready to go, uh, you know, with a training camp and all the practices under his belt, that he would be a serviceable backup if they needed him. Uh, you know, he's probably not going to win a whole, he wouldn't have won them a whole crap load of games. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't think it would be a huge presence on that team. Uh, I just thought he would be kind of your number two, uh, short yardage guy that, you know, had the opportunity or if given the opportunity would be able to make plays happen. I figured that Manziel could be good if he started, uh, all season long. And I, I didn't think he was going to dominate, like some people did. And honestly, I I wanted him to struggle and I wanted him to have growing pains just to shut some of these people up and show that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a legitimate game up here. But I, I think a lot of people overlooked Jeremiah Mazzoli. And I think there were a lot new casual eyes uh, on the game, especially at the beginning of the season, at least paying attention to the Manziel stuff that didn't know about Jeremiah Mazzoli and what Hamilton had there. So I was kind of concerned that uh, the Tiger Cats were kind of going to buy into the hype a little bit of Manziel and, you know, give Mazzoli the yank far too soon. And it turned out that, yeah, they made this trade. I, I, I thought if this trade was going to happen, it was going to be after the season or before the season even started. But the Ticats shipped him off to Montreal for Jamal Westerman, Chris Williams, and a couple first-round picks. It turns out that Williams ended up getting hurt in a season-ending injury, and Westerman ended up getting hurt in a season-ending injury. But I don't think anybody, when the season started, had Manziel's first start against the Tiger Cats <laughs> for the Alouettes. It was crazy how that worked. In the first start, he goes 11 of 20 for 104 yards and four interceptions. Hello, Johnny Manziel. And I know that uh, the team that he was playing with, 
did not do him any favors at all. I, I mean, the offensive line, the receiving core, almost the entire offense. I'd say that the running back position, whether it was Sutton or Standback for the Alouettes, is probably the lone bright spot when it came to the offense in Montreal. Yeah, there wasn't a lot good uh, on in Montreal, and it it didn't help that they had a guy who had never taken a snap in a regular yeah. season game. And then there was growing pains in, Mon- in Montreal, like you said. I started Hamilton that week on defense, worked out real well. Um, <laughs> but and we we figured that at some point he he wouldn't go the whole year not winning a football game. It just it's so rare for that to happen, and he was getting the starts. Um, and like you said, you didn't expect this trade to happen. I didn't expect it to happen until Montreal went through the quarterbacks like they did, uh, whether it be injury or just, you know, when you have Drew Willie, you always need a backup plan. So he got the <laughs> chance and, and, you know, he he learned and he made his adjustments and he finally got a touchdown pass and he finally started, he was running the ball well and, you know, he got a couple wins and, and started to look like a CFL quarterback. Now, whether or not that's going to pan out to next year, and, and this can continue or not is yet to be seen. But it was nice that you know it showed that you that he he did progress and he was able to to get better as the season went on. He's only twenty six years old. Uh, I, I do hope that he shows up to camp in the spring because that happened with Chad Johnson, Chad Ochocinco, whatever you want to call him. He came for the year, and then he just kind of did show up for the year after that. But I think Manziel knows that if he does that without any sort of NFL offer or contract or what have you, it's not going to look good for his future prospects. No, it, it just shows a complete lack of loyalty. Uh, I'm not, I, I know loyalty in professional sports is a, is a hot yeah. topic, especially with the way free agency works and everything. But I mean, you have a contract, uh, you know, the rules. If you, if you're not asked to be, re- if you didn't ask to be released or whatever, show up, uh, you know, you can have that discussion with the GM in the offseason if, if you think that there's options out there. But I, I, I think he'll show up. He knows that, the, like, let's be honest, the CFL is a means to an end for him. He wants to be back in the NFL. Um, if, if he gets a shot and it doesn't work out, uh, you know, if he leaves Montreal on good terms, there, there's always that possibility that if it doesn't work out in the NFL, he can come back and, and maybe have a career up here, uh, much like we saw with guys like Doug Flutie and, and stuff like that. So it. It all depends on what he sees. I, I think now with him, you know, going through the rehab and, and all that, all the treatments and everything that he's done the last couple of years, I think, I think that that will have changed uh, the way he thinks. And I think he'll be more willing uh, to, you know, take another year for, for the betterment of his, of his life down the road. As we stick with the Tiger Cats, Handy Andy Fan 2s. Uh, officially retires in July. Uh, and the Hamilton offense was clicking all season long until Brandon Banks broke his collarbone late in the season. And that affected the Tiger Cats right through to the Eastern final. But it does need to be said, Jeremiah Mazzoli, the streak continued from uh, 2017, but 10 straight 300-yard games that is, <laughs> that's nothing to ignore, man. No, I think he was one short of the record, or he tied the record. Tied um, it, yeah. Tied the record. Like, that's just insane. Uh, but, you know, they lose Andy Fantuz, which, I mean, he wasn't a huge part of the team last year either, uh, you know, with the injuries and everything like that. 
but it, it's still a veteran presence and a guy that converts a lot of first downs for you. Uh, Brandon Banks, when he got hurt, that the offense almost became really one-dimensional passing-wise. Uh, you know, when Luke Tasker seemed to be the only target who was really making plays uh, consistently, at, like guys like Mike Jones and stuff like that were able made plays at points. But I mean, Luke Tasker was getting the ball a lot. Uh, they had a running game, which was nice to see. June Jones's contrast to Kent Austin, where they actually used Alex Green uh, and and their running backs. It it just. After after that Brandon Banks injury, it was just if you can shut down Luke Tasker, you had a really good chance of winning, and you know it just that that carried on uh, throughout into the playoffs. And when they had to play uh, a good team like Ottawa, I'm not saying BC was a bad team, but I mean BC going across the country on the road, it, it's almost a it's almost a given that Hamilton was going to win that one. Uh, but with Noel Thorpe's defense in Ottawa, I didn't think they stood much of a chance. Uh, with with Banks out, it really changes the whole dynamic of that offense, and even with their with their starting uh, field position because of the return game that he he instills right now. Speaking of those BC Lions, it I, I don't think at the beginning of the year many people paid all that much attention to it, but Wally Buono's last season as a head coach in the Canadian Football League, it didn't really I felt you know catch any steam until after Labor Day. And I, I know when the season started, or even we go to last winter, there were some questions as to how this team would operate with you know Ed Hervey being the GM, but Wally still there. Who's going to make all of the decisions? But the Lions were able to go on a nice little run around in October. And at home, they were unbelievable. Uh, the defense was, I mean, they were sacking quarterbacks, forcing turnovers late in the season, and it got them into the playoffs, and really, it pushed the Eskimos out of the playoffs. It's just such a shame that Wally Buono's last game was that Eastern semifinal in Hamilton where, really, the game was over almost the minute that the Lions danced on the Tiger Cats logo, <laughs> which was a few months before the game. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, and like you said, there wasn't a lot of talk about Buono's last season. Uh, they started the year 3-6. and six. And, and the bye week in week 12, like you said, after Labor Day, it all kind of turned around. They, they finished the year 6-3, and three, finished 9-9, nine and nine, pushed Edmonton out. And I was like, okay, we did, BC just had to make it in the playoffs. They got... You know, it's going to be, they're going to rally around Wally. And they went and got beat by 40 points in the East Semi. And like you said, that that's a crappy way for Buono to go out. It's not exactly the game I'm sure he wanted to leave on. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, he's still going to go down as arguably the greatest coach in the CFL. So it's 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 not ideal. Uh, but after, after Labor Day, they went on that huge run, aided by a lot of home games. Uh, or well, five five of their nine were all home games, and they had they were so good at home. Uh, whether it was, I don't know if it was because of travel. Like they only lost uh, one home game in the last nine of the year. So, I, I I don't think teams go to Vancouver and party like they do in Montreal. Uh, but you know the the time difference, and they always seem to play a late game at home on a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, you know, teams their their clocks are all their their biological clocks are all screwed up, and, and they took advantage. Uh, you know, seven and two at home is nothing to shake a stick at. 
Let's talk about those Eskimos who hosted the Grey Cup this year and <laughs> missed, missed the playoffs. And they were... I have, a, I have a question. Even though they didn't make the playoffs, because winning isn't everything to Len Rose, is this year still considered a success? <laughs> hey, 500, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, had, they had ludicrous. Oh, so, yeah, I, I forgot I mean, about that. I mean, that's got to be a success. I would think so. Like, if you really want, <laughs> you really want that mid '90s rap crowd, <laughs> it's almost like the story of 2018 is if Mike Riley will be there in 2019. <laughs> I, I thought it was. I thought the the storyline of 2018 for the Eskimos was like, oh great, who's playing halftime this week? <laughs> I remember the one year they had Salt and Peppa. Like, who can we <laughs> dig up next? Uh, well, they can't get TLC because it's just TC now, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Don't go chasing waterfalls. I don't don't go no making scrubs. phony calls. <laughs> Easy there, weird Al. <laughs> uh, enough about the Eskimos. We can talk about the Riders who <laughs> somehow, since Chris Jones get, gets there, they just dominate the news, whether it's good or bad, and you can decide whether this is good or bad. The, the defense that the Riders had was oh, so fun to watch. They, they made more plays in their offense, and that is not exaggerating. The Riders had 11 passing touchdowns. Trevor Harris had six in a game. The, the Rider offense had 11 passing touchdowns and 12 defensive touchdowns throughout the season. I, th- there's no words to describe that. The 11 passing touchdowns, and they hosted a playoff game. It's both putrid and amazing. Like It, it boggles the mind. It's melted cheese with a bit of mold in the side. I, cheese is mold. Just cut it off. Well, it's like, it's like eating the mold, though. Like, that offense was... Hey, I've, I've been that broke. Ate the mold? Uh, it was on a grilled cheese sandwich. I didn't really care. Well, <laughs> I mean, if you melt it, then it's probably it's, not bad. It sterilizes it. It's basically penicillin, right? <laughs> oh, man. And you know what? Halfway through the summer... They made news by releasing, and some people call him the best athlete in the league, but one of the top receivers, I mean, at the time, I guess he was playing DB. DB. One game as receiver, but they just straight up cut Deron Carter loose uh, for him to sign in Toronto later in September, where he really did nothing in Toronto the last few months of the season. But, I mean, as soon as they cut Deron Carter... It seemed the team really came together and went on a run. And it almost makes you think the rumors that we were hearing out of that dressing room were true, that, that you know, he was kind of the the center of the, I don't, not, not, I don't know the word I'm looking for here, not a mutiny, but the dissension in the ranks kind of, uh, yeah. you know, he, there was the, the fight that the coaches instigated and, you know, told them to go fix, go fix their problem with, Basically, go go to the bike rack after school and take care of this is basically what happened. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and, and a guy with this kind of ability, he hasn't stuck around on any team, whether it was in college, he transferred, uh, in the CFL, he's been, he doesn't last long with any team. It doesn't take long for his act to get worn out. Teams get tired of him. Uh, he's now with his third team in the CFL. And like you said, he didn't do much in Toronto. Uh, it's hard coming in halfway through the year. Uh, you don't, don't have a complete grasp on, on the playbook or things like that. But even when he was returning kicks, he wasn't doing anything. And they were, it was almost like they were, instead of putting him on, on a reserve, on like maybe on the 46, and then scratch him before the game. No, they were taking a, they were leaving him in the lineup, and he was seeing what five or six snaps a night, and just taking a spot away from somebody who would have actually been productive in that spot. And that wasn't the last of the bad news for the Riders. Charleston Hughes ends up getting a DUI mm-hmm. in October, right before the game, where they went and got smashed in Winnipeg. I, I think it was announced after that game, but just a, a stupid decision that ended up you know, adding more distractions to the team, but they responded with a win in Calgary on October 20th. So, I mean, somehow the riders, good or bad, stay in the news in Regina and the CFL. Yeah, and a lot has to do with the news cycle in Regina because if the Pats aren't playing good, then there's nothing else other than the riders. Uh, when you get into September, October, November. Uh, so they dominate the news. Regard- Basically, it doesn't matter if the Pats are good because it's early in the year for them. Uh, it's, they're the only game in town, and the media knows that. The league knows that. And, you know, if you go if you go three or four days without the Riders being in the news, somebody will find something. <laughs> and uh, that's, <laughs> I'm sure that would have been found, but it was one of those things. Speaking of those bombers, um, in June, things were looking bleak. For Winnipeg, when Matt Nichols went down uh, with the knee injury, and when he came back, he was not himself. But the Bombers are another team that almost looked like the most complete team in the CFL going into the playoffs. Uh, th- they handled the Riders in the West Semi, ended up losing the West Semi final. What will it take for the Bombers to get over the hump and get to that big game? Is Matt Nichols the answer? Oh, that is a great question. I mean, they have the offensive line. Uh, they have a running. They have arguably the best running back in the CFL. Their defense again this year, still somehow forcing turnovers. I don't get it. This is going to stop. <laughs> we say, when? say it almost every second show. This is going to stop at some point. Um, there is, you know, they got Darvin Adams, Kimbrell Tompkins, Nick Dembski, Weston Dresser. They have a good. They have a good enough receiving core uh, that can make plays. Seems the only question mark. Uh, is the quarterback position and you know this year coming into the year uh with with Bo Levi Mitchell you had Mike Riley in Edmonton Zach Kalaros who we were hoping for a bounce back year uh you know same with with uh Jonathan Jennings in in BC Matt Nichols you, you don't think of him as a top two three quarterback uh even in the let alone like forget the league but even just in his own division um but you know there were games where they could not get Andrew Harris going or, you know, they didn't give him the ball enough. And, and you see uh, Matt Nichols make some mistakes. Uh, it's almost like in hockey when a guy, you know, has has his playing time, but the minute you bump him up an extra two or three minutes, you see his game go down the crapper. So you, you don't want to see Matt Nichols throwing the ball 40 times a game because it usually doesn't bode well. 
And lastly, uh, the Grey Cup champion Calgary Stampeders dealt with a remarkable amount of injuries, and they show why. Yeah, they got to give like 80 different people a ring. Yeah, that's true. Like, they might have to spend more money on rings than any other team in the past 10 years. Does that count toward the ops cap? Well, that was uh, <laughs> maybe the, oh, the, I'll call it the second biggest story of off the field things from this season. And it really just blew up more so after the Grey mm-hmm. Cup. Which I think we expected with, you know, there was going to be a coaching carousel. I have it written on my whiteboard that coaches could sign Tuesday or Wednesday after Grey Cup, or you could talk to them. Yeah. So we knew this was going to happen. Um, you know, we had a, an entire season to, to prepare, and sort of the teams and, you know, the names like Mike Benavides, John Murphy out in, in Saskatchewan, it was huge. And, and, you know, people saying, oh, you know, guys are losing. It's like, well, it's for competitive balance. It's, it's only guaranteed for the next two years. So we'll see if it works the way this, the league wants it to, and they're going to look at it again in 2020. So or 2021, sorry, for that season. So we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, like for for a league, I don't think I, – I don't know if any other league even has this uh, where, you know, the yeah. coaches are under a cap. It, there's usually an internal cap for each team where they, they only want to spend so much, but for it to be league mandated, it's something else. you got to think that that makes sense. Uh, I mean, for hockey, I mean – Obviously, the Leafs can pay somebody like Mike Babcock, and I know you don't like the guy. And he's also—he's not that great of a coach. But more than somebody in you know Florida can pay or or whatever. Yeah. So maybe that's something that the NHL does look at. Well, and we see it now. I know we we were told by a couple guys at the Atlantic Schooners party at Great Cups, like if you guys turn this into a hockey podcast, we're going to stop listening. Sorry, it's going to we're going to talk about this for two minutes because. Kura brought it up. Well, I brought it up. <laughs> yeah, throw me under the bus. <laughs> I'm going to tie this. I'm going to tie this back. I'm going to tie this back to the CFL. Teams like the Leafs have created or have somewhat circumvented the salary cap with their signing bonuses, like you see with John Tavares, where his salary is only a million dollars a year. Those contracts are basically buyout proof. Um, you know, it's a way yeah. with, with teams with the financial means to guarantee a player like 15 million dollars on July one. To, to you know, they're not necessarily circumventing the cap. the The annual average value remains the same, but you know these are front end loaded with with the signing bonuses, and there's not a, not every team can do that. No, not even close. And they they had a super management team with Shanahan, Lamorello, and Babcock, right? Lamorello's not gone now, now but they now, did. Yeah, they did, and Kyle Dubis there too. Right now, like it's it's ridiculous. So there's a way to circumvent it. The Leafs are somewhat doing it. They're not cheating, but I think it'll get looked at. But in this, now tying that into the to the non-player football operations cap, I think we're going to see because is it trainers and uh, there was another one that they don't count towards the cap. I think we're going to see people get classified as those and maybe yeah. work work under different work under that title, but have different. Uh, responsibilities so i i don't know it it's just the teams with the money that can do that can pay those guys a little bit more to keep them around and maybe give them another job underneath uh, a blanket uh, responsibility you talk uh, the schooners party the schooners are the biggest or i think the biggest off-field story of the season and 2018 was a big 
big year for that next step in Halifax. We got the name, the Schooners. Mm-hmm. We, we got an ownership group. I mean, Tom Cochran's joining the fold. The last thing is we need a stadium. The only thing is, is that we need 180 or $200 million to build that stadium. Yeah, uh, you know, the team's been approved. Uh, they have a name. They have an ownership group. The biggest hurdle, and we, they talked about it at the East Coast Kitchen Party, was the stadium. And they made the joke, oh, that's all that's left. That, that's going to be a huge hurdle. It's going to take two years to build. Like, let, let's forget even getting, you know, it all approved and everything. Yeah. Uh, so we're two years away from being two years away from being two years away. Like who knows when this is really going to get steam and they're going to get a stadium built. So until we hear, uh, that the stadium has been approved and there's funding, uh, I'm not going to get too excited. Um, you know, it is great for the league to, to have this opportunity. Uh, there's still, there's still one huge hurdle to get over. Uh, but once that's done, then it's going to be a real viable story. Uh, cause we've, we've seen teams like, like the renegades, uh, you know, come in, everybody's super excited, and after three years, they're gone. Now, granted, the ownership group was absolute garbage. The ownership group uh, in Atlantic Canada right now uh, seems very strong, and, and they, they're super passionate, they want to get this done. So uh, I, I see it happening, I just don't know how long it's going to take. This podcast uh, this week is brought to you by ATB Financial, and they actually have a couple podcasts of their own, including We Are Alberta, hosted by ATB economist Nick Ford. The latest podcast was all about drones and a drone testing facility operating in southeastern Alberta. That's pretty sweet. So if you do want to check out the latest episode of We Are Alberta, go to atb.com slash wearealberta. That's ATB. TB.com slash we are Alberta. In the huddle with Karan Tai on the Two and Out podcast. Let's uh, talk about some of the news that has gone down this week. The CFL unveiled the draft order for the upcoming draft, and that's the Argos, Owls, Ticats, Esks, Lions, Bombers, Riders, Red Blacks, and Stampeders in that order. The Riders making a few signings this week, and that just goes to show that we're only waiting for the big stars to mm-hmm. sign once free agency opens. So Luchez Purifoy signs an extension. Patrick Lavoie signs an extension. And friend of the show, Zach Evans signs an extension with the Riders through 2022. eating contest bump. <laughs> Look at that. He comes on. I defeat him in a pierogi eating contest, and he gets a four-year extension. You don't see many of those in the CFL. No, uh, you know, and a lot of people didn't think we'd see them with the new CBA uh, negotiations. Um, but, you know, he this basically is going to guarantee that he finishes his career as a rider unless they trade him uh, or something happens along the way. Uh, but, yeah, a four-year contract, super rare in this league. Um, I don't know how you didn't get one. You won the competition. <laughs> uh, it just seems At a least little a unfair. two-year deal. Come on. Yeah, it just seems a little unfair. <laughs> the Riders also made a trade. Uh, fullback Spencer Moore is off to the Alouettes in return for an eighth-round pick in the 2020 draft. He spent some time with the Riders. His rookie year was uh, winning the Grey Cup there in 2013. Very underrated special teams player mm-hmm. there. He gets the job done, but you kind of saw the writing on the wall when uh, Patrick Lavoie was signed to the extension. 
and there's only so many jobs to go around. Uh, you know, everybody bitched and moaned about the coach's cap, and you know, when a player gets traded or cut uh, to get underneath the cap or to give them cap room, we don't hear a lot of griping about it. So it's kind of a double standard because they're just in the eyes of in the eyes of ownership. Like, let's be honest, players are commodities, and they're they're there to be bought, sold, and traded. It's a business, right? The Bombers end up signing linebacker Jesse Briggs to a two-year extension. The Argos end up signing Canadian quarterback Noah Pickton through 2021. So it looks like they're willing to invest some time into Noah here, which I'm really excited to see. Yeah, and you know, another Canadian quarterback, not necessarily a starter uh, right now, but another Canadian quarterback in the league uh, on a roster We'll, we'll you have to see if he gets any playing time, but the way that his regular seasons went uh, in university, he has a very good possibility of getting some playing time. The Red Blocks end up signing or extending two defenders, a defensive lineman, Jonathan Newsom, and DB Sherrod Baltimore. The BC Lions extend Joel Figueroa. For a two-year contract, he was massive on that offensive mm-hmm. line. It's going to be big to have him back in the trenches. And some coaching news here. Uh, Anthony Calvillo is returning to Montreal as a coach, but <laughs> not with the Alouettes. He is now going to the U Sports ranks. He'll be coaching uh, with the Carabin. That's that's as good as it gets, man. But Machocha and Calvillo, the dream team. Okay, cool your jets. <laughs> but you know what? This is probably what Calvillo should have done. He mm-hmm. he kind of got thrown to the wolves here as a coach in Montreal and Toronto. Now he can work his way up through the U Sports ranks. Oh, and for sure, it's a way to learn how to coach. It's it's one thing to go from our, one of the best quarterbacks in the CFL and just hop right into a coaching rank. Uh, you know, there's a lot to learn, and you know. Not saying Machoch is the best guy to learn from, but it's a start. The Lions ended up, uh, you know, solidifying their uh, coaching staff. Yes, Rich Stubler, Ryan Phillips, Chris Ellis, Brian Chu, Nick Lewis, uh, Keith Stokes, Taylor Altilio, and Drew Tate. Yes, you heard that right. He retired again and ends up signing on as the quarterback's coach in BC. They have a pretty stacked (laughs) coaching staff. Their coaching staff could win a Grey Cup seven years ago. They could almost win a Grey Cup now. (laughs) (laughs) With Drew Tate, I don't think so. Oh, good point. (laughs) (laughs) Because he would get hurt in week two. (laughs) And the big news is the CFL schedule for the second year in a row gets released before Christmas. I, I don't know if we're making this a tradition. Can we call it a tradition if it happens two years in a row? Uh, yes. I love it. Either way. I will will allow it. (laughs) So I can now start planning my summer holidays and get ready for that. Week six. (laughs) Week six is the one you're looking at? Week six. I'll pull it up right here. It was the only uh, week that me and you could possibly do some sort of CFL road trip. So is that the one where we could hit Montreal, Ottawa, and Toronto in three days? Uh no, okay. What what's what's like, the schedule let, look like in week can, six? Can we can we can we start just can we just start close to home first and you know we'll see how this works. Uh, okay, what's week <laughs> Cal- six look like? 
Calgary on a Thursday night. Yeah. Then we when we hit Highway One, go out to Winnipeg for Friday night football, and then come back west to Regina for Saturday night at five, and then we go home. Oh man. And we hire a driver, and we get absolutely destroyed on the highway. How far of a drive is it from Calgary to Winnipeg? Uh, It's only like 10 and a half, no, 12 hours for me to get home. But, I mean, that's not on Highway 1. It's only like 700 kilometers. It can be You could fall asleep on that highway and hit the ditch, and it would still feel just as smooth. Like, well, if you hit, if you, <laughs> I, I almost fell asleep driving between Morden and Brandon and the two deer didn't make it, but I was okay. You hit deer on the way home? Oh yeah. I hit two at the same time. Like at, at once? Yeah. <laughs> and the truck's okay? All that I did was dent the license plate. Holy crap. Yeah. They were just two does, so it wasn't a big deal. Well, did you get any meat out of the deal? No, because it was in the it was in a coolie, so I didn't really think stopping at that particular <laughs> spot in the highway was a good idea in the dark. <laughs> okay, so the, the the season. Well, let's start with the preseason. It starts in May again, man. May twenty sixth. We actually have four games happening in May this season. Yeah, they're all preseason, including a nine a.m. Mountain Time game Thursday, May thirtieth in Toronto. Like what? That that is, should draw real well. Is anyone gonna be there? <laughs> I I don't know what that is. Speaking of Montreal and Toronto, week eleven it comes back. Touchdown Atlantic in Halifax Sunday, August twenty fifth. It is uh, the Els and the Argos. Uh, I'm so happy. To have Atlantic Canada back involved with the Canadian Football League, man. After this game, they might not want to be. <laughs> who are the Who are the quarterbacks going to be in that one? Oh man! So Manziel probably, hopefully, and James Franklin, or would it be, or McLeod Bethel? Oh man, you're going yeah. you're going with the predictable route. Well. Actually, no. Let's let's be real here. Cavis Reed's going to screw something up in Montreal. <laughs> well, hey, man. You know what? Could be Pipkin. Ugh. Yeah, it could be. Sure, Sherman doesn't. I mean, at, at least Pipkin will come out for the hail mary. Sherman doesn't even know how to take off his headset, let alone run an offense in the CFL. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how did we skip that in the year in review? <laughs> Do you? I can bring up the video. There's you don't want to see it again. <laughs> now, some more interesting notes here. We we are going to have some more triple headers uh, at the end of the uh, end of the season. And Tim from the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast mentioned this on. Uh, October Monday, or Thanksgiving Monday in October, the Alouettes will not have a home game, uh, which is the first time in like 13 years. Mm-hmm. They're going to be playing in Winnipeg, so that's a pretty big deal. There is no Thanksgiving Monday games this year. Which is pretty crazy to me, man. Mm-hmm. And another uh, scheduling, I don't know what you would call it, uh, 
Oh, what's the word I'm looking at? It's kind of weird, but there's no back-to-back with Toronto and Hamilton uh, Labor Day and the rematch anymore, or at least for this year. There's actually no Friday night football Labor Day weekend, which I thought was mm-hmm. another interesting note there. And after Labor Day, there's no Sunday games. Wow. So they do not want to uh, compete no. with the NFL there. As, as an Eskimo season ticket holder, I hate the schedule, but I, I can't. I can't complain about it. They, they mm-hmm. can't just make the schedule for me. There are, what, five Friday night games. Uh, four of them oh. start 7.30 or earlier, so I, I don't know if I can make those games. I, I have season tickets. And then there's one Thursday nighter in Edmonton as well. So that schedule as a road fan, only coming from an hour and a half away, yeah. is really annoying. Uh, they have three Thursday games, including back to back in weeks three and five. They have a bye four, uh, bye week in week four. Uh, so I mean, they're going to have teams coming in there on on short rest. Uh, they still have their Labor Day rematch against Calgary. Their last nine games are against teams that made the playoffs this year. Wow! So you kind of did some research as to uh, who's got the toughest schedule in each third of the season. Kind of. Uh, how's that yeah. looking? Uh, what did you do? You came so up with something. What I did was I took the opposition wins uh, that the, for the teams that are in, so Montreal or here. I'll, I'll do I'll do Montreal for example. Their last six games are BC, Calgary, Winnipeg, Toronto, Hamilton, and Ottawa. So I took their total wins from their regular from the regular season, and then whether it was home or away, I took those wins, added them together, and then a. Uh, I gave a winning percentage of that just because, you know, home and away does make a huge difference, uh, especially in, in football. Uh, Montreal and Toronto have by far the easiest schedules. Like, their groupings in each third of the season, uh, you know, the the, oppo- the opposition's winning percentage is under 40%. Just, just the way Just the way it worked out. Now, granted, they play each other and they play Hamilton because yeah. they're in their division. <laughs> uh, so, it, but I mean, then you look at Calgary, they – they don't have a winning percentage under fifty nine percent for the teams that they have to play in each third. So just just the way it wow. all grouped to get just the way it all grouped together, uh, kind of you know you can see the strength of schedule. If you win a great cup, you're gonna your games are gonna be tough. Um, I mean, everybody kinda, plays kinda the crazy. same teams, well, except for yeah. the West. But yeah, yeah, like Tor- Toronto by far has the easiest schedule just based on winning percentage from the year before. But I mean, Toronto's winning percentage is crap anyway. So it's not like yeah. it really matters. Like B- BC, uh, they really helped BC out this year. Uh, four of their first six are on the road. Five of their last seven are at home. Uh, only three playoff teams in the last six games. They have six Saturday home games. Uh, only th- and then wow. uh, three three on Thursday nights, uh, whether that's home or away. But yeah, six Saturday home games is huge in Vancouver uh, for the commuters and, and to get fans to the game. Uh, Calgary, first four in their last four are against playoff teams. Uh, they've got three Thursday night games, uh, three of four. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, three games, three Thursday night games in four weeks from week six to nine, which is kind of crazy. They still have the Labor Day rematch. Uh, Edmonton will open up with two straight at home, and then they go on the road for three. Uh, that includes a bye week, so they're not going to be home for a month. Uh, their last nine games, like I said, against playoff teams, uh, Saskatchewan opens up back to back Thursday night football on the road, Hamilton and Ottawa. Uh, then three home games in a row. Labor Day and the rematch is still there. Uh, they end the season with a home and home against Edmonton, which could be huge uh, if Edmonton has a bounce back year. Uh, just oh, yeah. three, thurs- three Thursday games there as well for the Riders. 
Uh, Winnipeg opens the season in BC. Four of their last five are against playoff teams. They end the season with a home-and-home home against Calgary, uh, which could really make or break Winnipeg's year. Uh, they also have four Thursday night games. Wow. And back-to-back in Week 9 and 10 on a Thursday night. Uh, Hamilton, Saskatchewan at home to open up the season. Three Thursday night games. Uh, they, Like I said, they don't play back-to-back with Toronto Labor Day in the following week. Uh, three of their last four at home, and they play three non-playoff teams in those four games. Uh, so that could be huge for them to possibly get... Uh, home field advantage. Toronto, week one bye. Three straight on the road from weeks five to seven. Uh, three straight at home after that from week eight to 11 with a bye week in week nine. Eight of their last nine games are against playoff teams. Three straight Thursday night games, uh, week six to eight. Uh, Ottawa opens up three of the first four at home, then three straight home games uh, from weeks two to five with a bye week in week three. Three out of the next four on the road. One of their last five games is against a playoff team. And then Montreal, who, you know, we didn't think that they would get screwed over, uh, but three of their first four on the road, three of them against playoff teams. And then week six to nine, they are at home with a bye in week seven. Uh, Eight of their last nine are against playoff teams and only got one Thursday nighter. Wow. And, well, let's just say the season opens June 13th. Uh, the Grey Cup rematch is in week one. Devon Claybrooks returns to Calgary in week three. Canada Day will be spent in Regina. We got Calgary and Edmonton happening early this year. Looks like August long weekend. And, yeah, Touchdown Atlantic is back. Earlier I said it will be in Halifax, but they actually have not announced the location for that game yet. We will find out in the very near future. But uh, let's continue to look over that schedule. Let's get your uh, uh, summer holidays booked. And yeah, maybe we should talk about that road trip. We are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. I... You know what? I, I want to shout out every damn podcast in the network. Go to albertapodcastnetwork.com. Um, Karen runs the Alberta Podcast Network, and I know how podcasters can be. It's kind of like herding cats a little bit. And <laughs> she she was so instrumental in us uh, having to and out live at the Grey Cup. I, I just yesterday got in the mail a Christmas card from her addressed to you and I. So you know what? Karen is awesome. She, she runs the network. Uh, she put it all together and all these amazing podcasts in one place. So albertapodcastnetwork.com. Check out all of the greatest show or the great shows a part of that network. Brazilian Thai, uh, you got anybody to wish Merry Christmas to? I know your mom's a big fan of the show now. And that oh, sounds yeah. like I'm being mean, but I'm not. <laughs> no, she she now listens to every every episode, so I got to be careful. Uh, I'd like <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd love to be able to wish my dad a Merry Christmas, but I don't think that's going to be possible. How does uh, she feel about those jokes? <laughs> oh, she's not a big fan of the guy either, so I don't think it's okay, a huge it's a huge deal. <laughs> Oh, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Brazilian Thai, and Travis Cura will talk to you in 2019. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.